they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He uh, who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that you would impart to us, Lord, your wisdom. Lord, that we would not be those who merely hear the word, but fail to obey it, but rather those who hear the word and who obey. Lord, help us to see that these are issues of life and death, and that, Lord, we cannot reject your word. We cannot turn away from your wisdom, Lord, without serious consequence, that, Lord, Those who play with fire, they will be burned. And Lord, those who turn away from you, they will endure your judgment. So Father, may we be humble and may we receive your word with meekness. And Lord, we pray that it would be implanted within our heart and that it would bear much good fruit in our life. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in Proverbs chapter 6 and in... Chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, the prophet is here commending again the necessity of wisdom, the necessity of listening, the necessity of heeding these teachings, right, and why it is so important that we do so. And then he'll turn to one particular area where it is vital, it is crucial for we to listen to these things, right? It's using this, these opening parts to introduce this topic, and we need to listen in relation to adultery but also in relation to whatever the Bible addresses, right? All of these things are issues of life and death, but especially this one sin is very common and very dangerous, deadly and dangerous sin. So we must heed the word of God. There in verse 20, he says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Here, we ought to listen to our father and our mother insofar as father and mother are teaching us the will of God. Right? If what they are saying is the word of God, and in this case it is, right? That's the obvious uh, conclusion that we are to draw, is that what the father and mother are saying are good words, right? Consistent with the word of God. Now, if the father and mother are telling us to do that which is contrary to the word of God, if the father is telling us to steal, then we shouldn't listen to him. If the mother is telling us to commit fornication, then we shouldn't listen to our mother. 
But if our father and mother are telling us what is good and right and proper and true, then we ought to listen to them if they are teaching us the word of God. Also, father and mother should be in harmony. In the Christian home, the father and mother should be in unison and they should be in agreement on what they are teaching the children and what they are expecting them to do. Isn't that the case here? The father and mother are both giving sound words, sound wisdom. That's why the son should observe both the commandment of the father, nor should he forsake the teaching of the mother, because father and mother are both telling him things that are consistent with the word of God. Well, how will this be the case, that the father and mother will be in agreement and in unison? It's because the source of their wisdom. They have the same source of wisdom, and that source is not their own mind, but rather the word of God. If the father is depending on his own wisdom, he's going to say one thing and the mother's going to say something else. But if father and mother are both searching the scriptures and then teaching their children those things that are consistent with the word of God, they're going to be in agreement. They're going to be in harmony. And then the son can listen both to his father and his mother. And he should listen to both of them. We should not reject the words of our father if his words are consistent with the Bible, nor the words of our mother. But rather, we should listen to whoever is telling us the word of God, especially if it is our father and our mother, seeing that God has placed them over us. So both father and mother should teach the children the will of God, and the children should submit to their father and mother and give humble obedience to them when they're teaching the word of God to them. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Right? This is what we should be doing. When our children are tender, when they are young, all the way through their life, we should be teaching them the word of God. And children should not despise their parents as many children are prone to do. They don't want to listen to their parents because they hate authority. They want to reject authority. But if the parents are teaching the Bible, then if they reject the parents, who are they ultimately rejecting? They're rejecting God, right? They're rejecting God, and there will be consequences for that. Verse 21, bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. Here, they need to be both on the inside and the outside. All about us, right? Everywhere. In the heart, you need them in your heart. You don't merely need them in your ears or in your mind. You need them in your heart. The Word of God taken into the heart. So bind them in your heart and tie them on your neck. Right? Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you or might not sin against God. We need the Word of God treasured within our very heart. Then also in verse 22, when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. If you have the word of God in your heart, then wherever you go, you're going to have it with you. It's going to be a benefit to you. It's going to help you. You'll, it'll be on your mind, right? Whenever you face various situations in life, And it's going to be there to help you, to guide you, to keep you from sinning against God. Whether you're walking about, when you walk around, it's going to guide you. When you lie down to sleep, 
is going to watch over you, right? You're going to go to sleep with a clear conscience before God if you're living according to the word of God. And isn't it true that many people die in their sleep? It happens to a lot of people. They die in their sleep. Well, if we're living according to the word of God and we die in our sleep, we lie down and we rest with a clear conscience. And then if we die in our sleep, then that's not a big deal because then we go and we are with the Lord. The commandments are watching over us in that way. And then also, when we wake, they will talk to us. When we awake, if the last thing on our mind before we go to bed is the Word of God, then what is likely going to be the first thing on our mind when we wake up? It's going to be the Word of God. If it's in us like this, all the time, constantly meditating, thinking about the Word of God, setting His commandments before us at all times. So whether we're walking, whether we're lying down, whether we're waking, whatever it is, the Word of God will be with us and it will be guiding us in everything we do. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about all these things in relation to the parents, the children, the Word of God with us at all times. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 8. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So there, the, the commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, might, with all of our strength, this commandment should be taught diligently to our children. We should be talking to them of these things all the time, right? Whenever we're walking on the way, when we're sitting in our house, when we lie down, when we rise up, all the time we should be talking to them about these things. We should put it in our heart. We should write it on our forehead. We should write it on our hand. Wherever we can write it to get the Word of God into our life, this is what we should do. And we should be talking with our children about these things. Verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light. And reproves for discipline are the way of life. The commandment of God is a lamp. The teachings of God are light. This is what the Word of God gives to us. You're it is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It says in Psalm 119, 105. Your word, he says, is a lamp, it is a light. And this is the same as it says in Proverbs 6, 23. It gives light to us so that we're not walking around in darkness. Sin is darkness, but the commandment gives light. So when we heed the commandment of God coming from our father and our mother, then we're going to have light so that we avoid sin and we do what's good in the sight of God. We'll walk in the path of righteousness instead of walking in the pathway of darkness and stumbling to our own demise and destruction. Also, reproves for discipline are the way of life. Doesn't the Word of God reprove us? Doesn't it discipline us? Yes, it does. It confronts our sin. And no discipline is pleasant in the moment. We don't initially like it when we are reproved, but in this case, what does reproof lead to? It leads to life. 
right? Isn't it better to be reproved and have life than to not be reproved and have death and go to hell for all eternity? So we want the word of God reproving us, correcting us, rebuking us, confronting our sin, because that shows us the pathway of life. And this is what we need. Okay, now verse 24 through the rest of the chapter, he's going to deal again with the adulterous woman, the adulterous woman and the dangers of adultery. And again, this came up in chapter 5. It comes up in chapter 6. It comes up again in chapter 7. So in all these chapters, there are sections. Chapter 7, the whole thing is dealing with the adulterous woman because this is a common temptation, a common temptation both for men and women. Right For men to be uh, attracted to or to desire this kind of a woman, and for the women to behave like this in order to get the attention of men. In both cases, it's evil, it's sinful, and we should reject it and have nothing to do with it. 24 says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Here, these words that they are giving to their son is for this purpose, to keep you away from the evil woman. Here, an adulteress is called an evil woman, right? Not a lonely woman, not a woman with low self-esteem, not someone who just wants to have a good time, but here, an evil woman. If a woman is tempting the man to commit adultery, whether that be adultery as it is uh, more narrowly defined, a man who's married to a woman, or adultery in general, including fornication, right, uh, sex outside of marriage, whatever is the case, if there is a man or a woman who is tempting us to adultery, they are evil people, an evil person. That's the way that we have to look at them. Not as a good person who's just a little flawed, but as an evil person. And we don't want to be around evil people, right? We should reject them and want nothing to do with them. But commonly, often, men especially, are they're very uh, sinfully compassionate toward women. Sinfully compassionate. Sinfully uh, want to overlook the sins of women because women are the weaker vessel. They're the weaker vessel, and when men see them, they naturally have a pity or a compassion for them. But if they're tempting to adultery, we can't be like this. We have to see them for what they are and then address them for what they are, right? Tell them that you're an evil person for doing this. They want to indulge women because of them being the weaker sex and because women are pretty. Men are ugly and women are pretty. And so men often want to indulge the women because of this. Numbers 31, an example of this. Numbers 31. We actually read about this earlier today. Whenever, Elie, uh, whenever Phineas went and speared the two people because of the adultery that was taking place at Baal Peor, Afterwards, they go and make war against Midian because of this sin and because of what Balaam and Balak had conspired against them. And then when they make war with them, they're supposed to completely wipe them out, but the men spare the women. 
they spare the women. And then notice what Moses says concerning this. Numbers 31, 13. Moses and Eleazar the priests and all the elders of the congregation went out to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds who had come from service in the war. And Moses said to them, Have you spared all the women? Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of pure. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every man among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man intimately. But all the girls who have not known man intimately spare for yourself. And you camp outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourself, you and your captives, on the third day and on the seventh day. And you shall purify for yourself every garment and every article of leather and all the work of goat's hair and all the articles of wood. So here Moses is incensed with the men of Israel because when they went and waged war against them, they spared all the women. And Moses is reminding them that it was the women who came and tempted you to sin. They're the ones who tempted you to commit adultery and who tempted you to commit idolatry so that the plague broke out and 24,000 were killed in a single day. And now the ones that were the source of this temptation, you're indulging them. You're sparing them. What do you think they're going to do to you if you bring them into the camp? What's going to happen if you embrace them and take them and make them a part of, of our nation? Aren't they just going to keep doing the same thing? So they're not taking seriously the gravity of sin the way that the Bible is. The Bible says that she's an evil woman. And that's the way he says that we must look at these things. She is an evil woman. Verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with your eyelids. Here, don't desire her beauty in your heart. Now, there is going to be something desirous about her. And what is desirous about the adulterous woman is her beauty, her outward beauty, her physical features, right? You're going to look at her, and if you're looking at her just with your eyeballs, then she's going to look very beautiful to you. But you have to look beyond what you see with your eyes and define her not according to her body, not according to her looks, but according to her character, according to the inner person of the heart. And in terms of the inner person, is she beautiful? No, she's hideous there. That's the way that you have to see her. You can't see her according to what she is outwardly. We cannot live by sight, but we must live by faith. We must define people according to their sin. And what should be attractive to a man and a woman is not her outward beauty only, right? Not that there isn't a place for beauty and for uh, a woman to be beautiful in that way, such as Sarah, such as Rebecca, such as Rachel. All of them were beautiful women, and all of them are commended for their beauty. But were they merely beautiful outwardly? No. Primarily, they were beautiful on the inside, the hidden beauty of the heart, the hidden beauty of a quiet spirit. Now, if a woman is beautiful naturally, but also spiritually, then that's good and fine. But if she's lacking in the inner beauty, the spiritual beauty, and she only has the outward beauty and is using that to tempt a man to sin, then we have to see her for what she is. She's no more than, her beauty is nothing more than a gold ring in the, 
in the swine's nose, in the snout of a filthy pig. That is what beauty is for a woman who lacks integrity, who has no virtue. Her beauty is like a gold ring in the swine. This is what she is. So she is desirous in a sense, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, but not according to the spirit. So don't take her beauty into your heart. Now, for beauty to be in the heart, what's he talking about? What is the sin there? It's lust, right? Do not lust after her beauty, after her features, after these things. And we know Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, whoever lusts for a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her in the heart. So don't lust for her in your heart because lust in the heart, if it is not repented of and crucified, where will it ultimately lead to? It'll lead to lust in the body, right? No one has ever committed adultery outwardly who did not first commit adultery in the heart. It starts in the heart and then it manifests itself in the outward man. So get rid of it at the source. Get rid of it in the heart. Don't let it take residence there. And if you deal with it in the heart, then you have nothing to worry about in your body, right? Out here, because you've already taken care of it at its source. Now, here... The woman knows this, right? And women know this as well. Women know how to get the attention of men. They're very sly. They're very good at getting the attention of men through their body. So she knows this, and she seeks to get the attention of men by the way that she dresses, by the way that she flirts with them, by the way that she talks with them, right? She knows how to do this, and women are very prone and adept at doing these things. Wicked women. Now, we shouldn't do that in the church, in the household of faith. They, the women here should know how to conduct themselves properly toward the opposite sex, right? And they shouldn't be doing the types of things that the adulterous woman is doing. Don't let her capture you with her eyelids, he says, with the way that she winks and blinks and does those kinds of puppy dog, you know, you know what, what they're talking about, that type of stuff. Don't, don't let it happen, he says. Why? Verse 26. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. Here, if you want to be poor, then go spend all your money on prostitutes. Go spend it on harlots. Right? And many times, these sinful vices, they all go together. Casinos, prostitutes, drunkenness, drugs... And when people indulge in those things, what typically happens to them? What kind of life are they reduced to? They're reduced to a life of poverty. This is what happens to those who squander their money on loose, reckless types of living. So you want to be poor? Then go and fraternize with harlots because you're going to have to pay your money to be with her. And then you're not going to have any money to buy your food. And then where do they go? They usually come to the church and they want to ask us for money. That's why we can't give it to them, right? Because if they're squandering their money on harlots or the casino or drunkenness or drugs, and then they don't have money for food, and they come here and they ask for our money, aren't we just aiding and embedding them to keep committing their sins? But don't churches do this all the time? They just dole out money without even asking, just because someone shows up and asks, but we cannot do that. Well, this is what happens. If you spend your time with them, you're going to be reduced to a loaf of bread. That's all the, the possessions you're going to have in life. 
you're going to have a measly loaf of bread because you squandered all of your money on harlots. Luke 15, we have an example of this. Luke 15, verse 11 to 16, the prodigal son, he squandered his inheritance on loose living. Loose living, which would be drunkenness, gluttony, harlotry, these types of sins. Luke 15, verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in in the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. So there, all of his inheritance, he squandered it, wasted it on loose living. That's what he's talking about here. And he was reduced to even less than a loaf of bread. He didn't even have a loaf of bread. He just wanted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, is how impoverished this man had become. Also, there in verse 26, it says that the adulteress hunts for the precious life. Right? Isn't our life a precious gift given to us by God? Isn't it our most precious gift that we have? Is the life that God has given to us? And an adulteress, she hunts for that life. She's one that takes that life away. This is what happens with her. Life is a gift from God, and we should not jeopardize our life. But one who commits adultery puts his own life in jeopardy. He puts it in jeopardy in both senses. Certainly he does spiritually, because those who commit adultery will not inherit the kingdom of God. But even physically, he puts his life in jeopardy because of what we'll talk about as we go on. The jealousy of the husband. Because when he finds out what you've done with his wife, then he's going, to want re- he's going to want retribution. He's going to want vengeance because of your sin that you've committed with his wife. 27 and 28. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Here, uh, illustration, right? That is obvious. It's plain. Can someone take fire into his bosom Can you hold fire in your hands right here next to your clothes and your clothes not be burned? Of course not. What about walking on hot coals? Can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be scorched? And how many times do you have to take a fire into your bosom for your clothes to be burned? Is it on the 10th time, the 20th time that it does it? Or is it on the first time that it does it? What about walking on hot coals? Isn't one time of walking on hot coals enough to scorch your feet? Well, that's the way it is with adultery. Only one time is enough to burn yourself, to do irreparable damage to your life, to your testimony, right? To your reputation, to your family, to your soul, right? This is what happens when a person commits adultery. They get burned, right? They get burned. The soul that sins shall surely die. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what he's teaching. If you play with fire, you will be burned. 
if you commit adultery, there will be repercussions. There will be a payment that will be due and it will come upon you. You will be burned and you will be scorched if you do these things. Verse 29. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. It is impossible to escape punishment for adultery. You will be burned. This is what will happen. It will not go unpunished, he says. And there's many ways that adultery can be punished. Either through the vengeance of the husband, who may go and act out upon you, and go commit violence against you because of what you've done with his wife. Can't that happen? Hasn't that happened many times? Don't we hear about stories where that happens? In a crime of passion, the husband goes and kills the man who's committed adultery with his wife. What about the civil authorities? There are times in history, now not in our corrupt country, but in times in history where people who committed adultery were punished by the civil authorities, that there was a punishment that came upon them, a crime that was committed, and they had to pay for that crime. They were punished for that. And then ultimately, what about on the day of judgment? If we commit adultery, and we are unrepentant in our adultery, then we will answer to God on the day of judgment, and we can be sure that we will pay for our sins. So whether in this life, or whether in the life to come, or whether in both, it is impossible for someone to commit the sin of adultery and not go unpunished. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So there, very plain, very clear. No mistaking it. Fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage, and adulterers, both of them will be judged by God. And we will not escape. So we cannot practice these sins and believe that we'll inherit the kingdom of God. We must repent and we must overcome these sins. Verse 30 to 31. Men do not despise a thief if he steals, to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. Here, he brings up this example of a thief, of a thief, a hungry thief, a thief who is stealing, right? He's committing a crime. He's committing a sin. But what's motivating him to commit that sin is hunger, and because of the hunger, there's a natural pity that we see, that we have. We understand. Yet, you know, you shouldn't have done this, but I can understand why you did it. You're hungry. You're starving to death. And so there is a natural pity and an understanding that rises up within us because we understand the reason for the crime, right? What compelled him to steal is at least legitimate, the desire to satisfy his hunger so that he does not die of starvation. Yet even if someone steals, and the reason they stole is because they're starving to death, and that person gets caught stealing, are they going to be punished? His answer is yes. Even a thief, 
Even the thief that steals because of hunger, because of necessity, even he's going to be punished if he gets caught stealing. He will pay sevenfold. He will have to repay according to what he has taken. Okay, then the conclusion, the, from the lesser to the greater, right? In that sense, we might say, this is at least an understandable sin, right? At least we can understand why he did it. He's starving to death. But what about the adulterer? What about the adulteress? What about them? Their sin is even greater. It is more heinous because theirs is pointless. There's no reason, there's no just reason for them to commit adultery. Verse 32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself who does it. The heinousness of adultery is magnified in contrast to this sin of thievery that was motivated by hunger, right? In multiple ways. First, isn't the wife a more valuable possession than a piece of bread, than a sheep, than a goat? Whatever it is that the thief stole from his neighbor in order to satisfy his hunger, that possession is not nearly as valuable as his wife. The wife of the man is his greatest possession. That is his most valuable possession that he has is his wife. So you are stealing his most valuable possession, his wife, the wife of his youth. The thief is just stealing a piece of bread, but you are stealing his wife. Also, the purpose for the stealing. In the case of the thief, it was necessity. It was he was starving to death. But in the case of the adulterer, it's just for pleasure, right? It's not like you're going to die if you don't uh, have sex with this woman. You're just doing it because you want to. You're just doing it because you love pleasure. You're a pleasure seeker. You're not compelled by... It's not a matter of life and death. Your physical life is not on the line if you're not able to do this. You're just doing it because you want the pleasure of it. Right? You're wanting the pleasure of it. So that makes it worse. And then the third reason. Don't you have your own wife? You have your own wife. So, or you have a means given by God for you to obtain a wife. And then you can have her. So why are you going to another man's wife when you either have your own wife or God has provided a means for you to obtain a wife? Go get your own wife and then you can have relations with her and you don't have to go have another man's wife. This would be like someone who's stealing. He's stealing bread from his neighbor when he has a pantry full of bread. Why are you doing that when you have your own bread? Go eat your own bread and leave your, your neighbor alone. Why are you going to your neighbor's wife when you have your own wife and you can be exhilarated with her love? It shows how wicked this, this person is. Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs five fifteen. We remember this was one of the remedies. One of the remedies to adultery is to have your own wife. Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times 
and be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? It's a completely senseless crime because the man has his own wife, so go have your wife. Be exhilarated with her. Let her satisfy you instead of going to another man's wife. Verse 33. Verse 33. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Those who commit adultery will find. They, they have a moment of pleasure, but then after the pleasure comes wounds, disgrace, and reproach in many different ways, shapes, and forms. Isn't it true that many people who commit adultery, they get diseases? They get, they are, this happens to a lot of people. They get diseases because of their loose life, and then they have those wounds, right? They have those kinds of things with them that cause them to be sick, that cause them to be impotent, that cause many problems for them all throughout the remainder of their life. Also, disgrace. It's a disgraceful sin. And whenever it begins to spread and people find out what happened, then you're going to have disgrace for the rest of your life, right? For the rest, it's going to be a stigma. What about your family? When your family finds out, your parents find out, your siblings find out, right? Your children find out, your grandchildren find out. Isn't that going to be shameful? Isn't their stomach going to drop whenever they hear about what has happened? It's going to cause much problems and much pain and consternation in the family whenever you do this. Or what about if the person is a, a church member and it happens in the, in the church, what if it happens in the church between a man and a woman in the church? Isn't that going to bring upheaval to the church and cause many problems there within the body of Christ? What about the testimony? What about the name of Christ? What about the gospel of Jesus Christ? When the world hears that Christians are doing this, it's going to bring shame upon the name of Christ. The name of God will be blasphemed among us if we do these types of things. So all of these things are the consequences of the sin of adultery because it has such a stigma to it, rightfully so. It is such a scandalous and a gross sin. So much so that your reproach will not be blotted out. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings 15. Even with a man as righteous as David, who we know was a true believer, we know he was a child of God, yet because of the adultery he committed, that shame was with him for the rest of his life. And even is recorded after his death, whenever the Bible is talking about David and his faithfulness, it has to make this exception because of his adultery. 1 Kings 15, verse 5. Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. So David was a righteous man, a faithful man. He did not turn aside, but there was this one case, except in this case. And this is recorded in the word of God. So though David was forgiven, and though David was justified and reconciled to God, yet the shame of his sin still remains because of the gravity, the heinousness of it. And this is the word of God, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And here it is recorded for us. And even today, 
we're still talking about that sin and how great that sin was. So it has great shame with it. And even if we're a true believer and we have a temporary failing like David and commit a sin as great as adultery like David did, and we are truly repentant and we do overcome the sin, the stigma will still be with us the rest of our life. The shame and the knowledge of that will be with us just as it was with David. And the consequences of it will be with us the rest of our life as well. So why should we do that? Why would we jeopardize all these things for the sake of a little bit of pleasure when we have our own wife at home and we can enjoy her, right? Verse 34. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. Here, the husband, the jealous husband, when he finds out what has happened, then maybe he takes matters into his own hands. We might say, well, well the law will protect us. Well, how is it going to protect you when you're dead? Sure, he may go to prison. He might get put in jail if he goes and kills you. But if you're dead, what good is that doing you? Right? And here, he's going to be jealous. And when a man is jealous, and rightfully so, being jealous over his wife, he's going to be filled with rage. And he's going to want vengeance. And if he doesn't have self-control over that, then he's going to act out on it. And he's going to get vengeance for himself. If the law will not give him vengeance, if, then he'll go get it for himself. And maybe he comes and kills you. Maybe he catches the man and his wife in the act and he kills both of them. Hasn't that happened before? It's happened many times in the history of the world. So the jealous husband will not be easily satisfied. He will want vengeance. He will want justice for the crime. He's not going to accept any ransom. If you come and say, I'll give you a million dollars to make up for what I did, that's not enough. It's not enough because of what you have done, how great the sin is. He won't accept anything. Even if you give many gifts to him, he's still going to want vengeance because of what you have done. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 4. Proverbs 27, 4. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. But who can stand before jealousy? Right? Yes, wrath is fierce. And when wrath breaks out, it is very dangerous. Anger is a flood, right? A flood that is not easily abated. But greater than wrath and greater than anger is jealousy, right? Because jealousy gives rise to wrath and anger, right? Jealousy is not easily satisfied and it will not be abated easily, but rather it will act upon what has happened. And we have an example of this, not in relation to a husband and wife, but brother and sister, brothers to sister in Genesis chapter 34. Whenever Dinah was violated by Shechem, their wrath was not easily abated. Their jealousy was provoked, and they went and slaughtered not only Shechem and his father, but the whole city, the whole city of men, because of what had happened with their sister. And they said, should our sister be treated like a harlot? Well, if they did that for the integrity of their sister, right, then how much more will a husband do that for his wife, right, for his wife? So we should not think that we can commit this sin 
and go uh, without there being punishment, both in this life and in the life to come. So what is the solution then? What should we do? Don't do it, right? Don't do it. That's what he's saying the whole time. Don't, don't be near this kind of woman, right? Stay away from her. Stay away from her and live a pure and an upright life with your own wife. Enjoy her and then also enjoy the fruit of that relationship, which is the children that come into the world as a result and the family that you're able to build as a result of being with your own wife. Okay, and with that, we'll conclude and segue into another thing, which is the blessing of children. The blessing of children, because we have two little children here this morning that are one year old. One year old, both born one year ago on the same exact day, and that is Hezekiah. Is he awake back there? Yes, I see him. And Lucy. Lucy is asleep. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll overlook it this time. And so I wanted to read Psalm 127, and then we're going to sing it as well for our dismissal. Okay, for our dismissal, because it is a blessing to have little ones. And uh, also, Christian and Micah are expecting another little one in the next week, uh, on the 24th. So it is a blessing when God grants to us uh, marriages, and then grants to us families and children. And we always want to thank God for that. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city... The watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate." Right, since we talked a lot about adultery, which is a perversion of sex, it's also good for us to acknowledge the goodness of marriage and the goodness of proper relations between husband and wife within the marriage covenant and then the blessing that comes from that. How good it is when God blesses that and then how evil it is when we pervert the good blessing of God. And we have that reminder today with uh, Lucy and Hezekiah. Uh, and so we also are grateful to God for their life and want to pray for them. And then we want to sing this psalm and we'll be dismissed. So let's pray. Then we'll sing Psalm 127 and conclude for the day. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, how it does teach to us your wisdom, Lord, and it warns us. It gives us light, Lord, so that we might see how dangerous and how, Lord, how evil sin is. Lord, sin must be utterly sinful to us. Lord, otherwise, how will we avoid it when we think of it as some small, slight thing? Lord, help us to see that this sin of adultery, Lord, it is a very heinous sin. Lord, one that will have dire consequences on those who commit it. Lord, how could we be so foolish as to jeopardize our soul, Lord, our family, our reputation, our children, Lord, our marriages, Lord, our church, the gospel, the honorable name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, to risk all of that, Lord, to bring shame and disgrace to all of those things just for a few moments of pleasure. Lord, only one who is 
living according to the flesh. Lord, walking by what he sees and not by his faith. Lord, only he would do something so foolish. But Lord, we read earlier about the prophet David, who we know was a righteous man. And Lord, who even every Sunday morning for so many weeks, Lord, we have, Lord, we have enjoyed, Lord, the fruit of your work in him as we have studied from Psalm 119. And yet, Lord, even that man, as righteous as he was, as great as his faith, even he committed the sin of adultery. So, Lord, may we not think that we are above stumbling and falling. Lord, may we not think that we stand, but he did not. But rather, help us, Lord, to have humility and to see that if we think we stand, we better take heed lest we fall. Lord, we know that this sin is common, that, Lord, it is a common temptation, and we pray that we would be vigilant, be on guard against it, and, Lord, that we would not uh, put ourselves in jeopardy, Lord, by committing the sin of adultery. So, Lord, we ask for you to guard us and to keep us pure, and, Lord, to give us integrity. Lord, as well, we are thankful for the solution, Lord, the means that you have given for us to overcome this which is marriage. Lord, for a man to marry a woman, for him to find a wife, and then for him and the wife to come together and be one flesh, and Lord, to enjoy each other in that way. And Lord, as well, for the blessing that you bring through that marriage relationship, and that is the blessing of children and family. Lord, we're especially aware of this today as we think about uh, Lucy and Hezekiah, Lord, being one year old today and the life that you've given to them. Lord, we thank you for these two children. Lord, we pray for your blessing to be upon them. Lord, that they would continue to grow and to have good health. And Lord, most of all, that they would be raised and trained in the fear of the Lord. Lord, that they would come to know you. Lord, that they would be reconciled to you. Lord, that they would live godly lives. So Father, we pray for you to save them at a young age and that you would devote their whole life, Lord, to your service, and that they would be faithful to you. So, Father, we thank you for them, and we pray for your blessing on them today as well, Lord, for Micah and the new baby that is coming. Uh, we pray, Lord, that she would have a safe and a uh, good delivery, and that, uh, Lord, maybe this time next week they would have another son brought into the world, and we thank you for that <clears throat> blessing of adding to their family, and we pray that you continue to do so. Lord, both for them and for all of the young couples that we have here in the church. So, Lord, may your favor be upon us and be with us as we go today. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.